Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast, where two editors and a special guest are going to take you around the art world. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan, joined this week by staff writer Alexa Gotthard. Hi, Isaac. Hey, Alexa. Editor Casey Lesser. Hi, Isaac. Hey, Casey. And the special guest, Julia Sherman, uh, the photographer and author behind Salad for President, which we will explain in a minute. <laughs> Hi, Isaac. Hi, Julia. <laughs> So food and art obviously have a long history. Some of the earliest paintings we have are still lives of fruit. That's Art History 101 for you. <laughs> uh, but as art became more experimental in the 20th century, artists began to interact with the subject in more interesting ways. And today on the podcast, we're going to be talking a little bit about the work contemporary artists are doing with food. Sometimes they're making work. Other times they're cooking uh, great meals. And the project we're going to start off with is Julia's own Salad for President, which kind of deals with the latter. So Julia, Salad for President, what is it? What is that name? Uh, well, Salad for President started as a blog and it is now a book. Um, I'm still doing the blog, so it's not in the past tense, but I'm a visual artist myself. And as I found that I was having fewer of the sorts of conversations I wanted to have with other artists in our studios or in galleries or, you know, in art contexts, um, I began rely relying on my cooking a lot more as a way to facilitate conversations. So I had always cooked and gardened and I ran an artist run space in LA and all of our events really culminated with a dinner at my house, but those were not premeditated or planned or I don't even know if they were that good honestly it was a really <laughs> long time ago but I knew I was most excited about them and it was all coming very naturally and you know fast forward after going to grad school and really starting to participate in the New York art world um, I started a blog where I was sharing my salad recipes salad always being the food that I preferred to make but <laughs> I started to workshop what would happen if I started to take all the sort of intensity and focus that I put into my art practice and I put that into this food that I was making and if I learned to do food photography and as I was working on that I started to tell other artists about it and artists being extremely competitive started <laughs> challenging my expertise on the topic and wanting to share their own salads so as someone who can barely cook the idea that there's more than like three types of salad yeah there's already there's infinite my imagination infinite types of salad so so yeah you, you were sort of saying what happened as the project kind of took on momentum basically i found that especially in the art world the success or failure of what you're working on really depends on your own enthusiasm and your own ability to self-promote and talk about your projects freely i mean all of us are subject to the question like what are you working on next or what's next you know and that's like your moment to either impress someone or to have them like turn away from you. And even when the salad blog was like just a really crappy Tumblr, I found myself going to art events and just like talking about it to everyone and blabbing about it and being so excited and people kind of like peaking interest to, to feel like, oh, you're doing something that's kind of maybe starting to step outside of the art world or to bridge a gap between the art world and something mm. else. So I think I was just so enthusiastic about it and seemed like such a weirdly specific thing to do that other people were interested in it. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the book's kind of status as art in a little. But so you turn this Tumblr into this book that we've been talking about. So what's in the book? It's recipes, but there's also incredible photography. 
Yeah, so so the Tumblr then became a platform for me to interview artists and photograph their spaces, and there'll be an introduction where I sort of describe our day together and a recipe that we sort of developed together, and then I test it. So that became the concept for a book, and the book is all original content, so it's not recipes and interviews that have already been published on saladforpresident.com. It's like a totally separate thing. So there's 11 features on international artists. So they're from Japan, Mexico, LA, New York. And then there's, I think, 75 or 80 of my own recipes. So it it is both straight up cookbook and coffee table book that's interviews with artists who I think are particularly interesting. I definitely trust your recipes because we, we always do like a mic check before we start this podcast and we say what we had for breakfast and I had nothing and you had like some crazy like spices that I don't think are real and like it sounded very elaborate. It sounded like someone was concocting an artwork. Yeah. So that, that I mean that kind of brings us to this next question which is is this an art project? You talked about funneling your creative energies into it i don't think that the food or the recipes are art well i mean i'll start off by saying i i don't care um (laughs) and i think yeah i mean (laughs) i think my my art practice leading up to becoming um, a a salad expert was um very loose and very research-based and ended a lot in writing or making objects or functional things or designing a clothing line or you know Sometimes I never figured out what the object was. It was just a year of hanging out with someone and trying to make an object and being like, ah, it was just really like a narrative and nothing else. So to me, that this is no different than that. Um, so I, I definitely do not propose that my salads are art and that one should elevate them to that status. Um, I think they should be eaten and forgotten about and then like reimagined the next day, uh, which I think a lot of good art should also. But the line between uh, salad and art can sometimes blur. You uh, worked with Allison Knowles, a Fluxus artist, to actually create a salad mm-hmm. um, that was also a performance. And the performance was the, was the work of art. Can you maybe right. tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I think in the f- example of Fluxus art is a really apt one because for me, it's a sort of similar approach to the food itself in that it's really about the, the ritual and the everyday. And, you know, Alison Knowles, more than anybody, her salad in her 1962 famous piece called Make a Salad was a terrible salad. And it was, you know, like most salads in the 60s were, I guess, but it was like crappy <laughs> cucumbers. <laughs> it was just like a basic salad. Like nobody then would have ever said like that this that you know the food that you make for on a Tuesday night is a work of art Mm -hmm. I mean that's just it was a event score so her works were text-based and so the piece was actually just the sentence or the directive make a salad and it was it's been included in several books and you could never make that salad and that work of art would still stand as its own piece but she started to do them in museum context and really let the curator be the one to make all the decisions so in 1962 when she did that it was like cucumbers and iceberg lettuce and carrots and then you toss it together and serve it to the audience and in our example she had come to a garden i had built on the rooftop of moma ps1 And I had a collection of really rare and unusual herbs and greens growing there. So the ingredients that she puts into the salad, she 
enunciates each one like very clearly. Like she'll, you know, so originally it'd be like carrot and then she'd toss the <laughs> carrot in and then cucumber. And then in our case, she was like Jimmy Nardello pepper or Spilanthes toothache herb, you know? And so it like kind of changed the whole performance given the context of this garden. I really courted her for a while because I really felt like her project was such a touchstone, not only because it was salad, but because of her approach to it and her kind of her her open endedness and her her like lack of interest in defining exactly what it is and more uh, focus on tossing that off onto the participant or the viewer or the curator. Like, yeah. And that's what struck me so much about that performance. I was there the day that Julia and Allison were working together on that. And what struck me about it was that it was so very collaborative and that's what ends up striking me about all of your work and all kind of work that incorporates food in some way. Are you thinking about that collaboration between artistic minds mm-hmm. when you're working on these projects? Uh, yeah, I mean, collaboration is definitely my preferred state of making anything. So I think intentionally or not, I put myself in a position where now I'm constantly around artists who make totally different work than me, who I can learn from. And then I'm also around food people who are, whether they're farmers or growers or food producers or chefs, who who I have a lot of friends who are chefs, and I I get to cook with them now and host events and all that. And everything is exciting and new, even, you know, even if it appears like I've been cooking for, you know, I've been cooking for a long time, but that's not the same as having gone to culinary school and run through restaurants. So for me, the importance has always been to surround myself by people who can kind of contribute to my learning process. Um, So that's definitely, I'm very curious. And I think that that's sort of like the one thing, whether it's salad or photography or art or writing, like that I need to preserve first and foremost. So in terms of, you know, we, we mentioned Fluxus, but there's other artists and movements that have sort of engaged with food, not just as a subject for depiction but also as like a very tangible medium. Klaus Oldenburg, Andy Warhol. I mean, Alexa, you, you were sort of rattling off a few a few kind of prominent examples. How do you how do you sort of see the use of food as a medium coinciding with the rise of like contemporary art? Yeah, um, Julie and I were talking about this earlier, and artists have been experimenting with food as a means to expand their creative process and creative thinking for a really long time. So. As early as, I mean, even earlier, but an early example would be Toulouse-Lautrec writing a cookbook where he explores some of his conceptual ideas about how art and life intersected and interacted. So he painted these incredible scenes of these decadent parties. And then in his cookbook, he, he kind of made these decadent parties happen through his cookbook. And then moving along the art historical timeline, the futurist movement had a cookbook and Food became very prominent in art during the pop movement later on because pop artists were commenting on commercial culture, popular culture. Obviously, food is a big part of that. We buy food in grocery stores. And pop artists like Warhol and Oldenburg started exploring that in their physical work. So Oldenburg had a store on the Lower East Side that he filled with plaster sculptures of foods and objects that you might find in New York delis, for instance, blueberry pie. Warhol used food as a subject of his work as well. Soup cans. Soup cans. Thank you. (laughs) And Bananas. (laughs) Bananas. (laughs) So yeah, so you see, there's a log line of, of artists 
artists experimenting with food because it's a part of everyday life. And that's what artists do. They comment and explore different facets of everyday life. Yeah. And Casey, I think we were all jealous because you actually got to bake a cake with Will Cotton, who's a, who's a more contemporary artist. I loved that piece, by the way. Oh, thank you. I sent him a package of my resume and like all my work when I was like a sophomore in college. Don't, oh my God, I hope he's not listening to this because I know we actually have friends in common. But uh, like begging to be his uh, studio assistant and never heard anything back. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's an excellent baker. Yeah, so what? how does uh, food kind of enter into his practice? Yeah, so since the 90s, he's been featuring like gingerbread houses, cookies, cakes, candy lands in his paintings, which these days are focused on these really beautiful female figures. But when he first got into it, he decided he wanted to do paintings of stacks of decadent cakes. So he bought out two bakeries and kind of set up this still life of cakes for him to paint. But it was just so expensive and messy that he decided to really work on his own baking skills. And so since then, he's perfected those skills to the point where he's friendly with Martha Stewart and, you know, follows her recipes to the T. And so that was kind of, it was really fun to do that interview because I was kind of like the amateur baker, like you were saying, like like asking him to teach me and, you know, showing me how he like lines the baking pans and how to like sift and I love baking, but I'm definitely no expert. But um, I mean, this Casey, is like- sorry to embarrass you, but you brought in like cookies- for like an office function, you know, you you have works of art on the cookies. So. I, I admit it, I am fairly good at baking sugar cookies, okay. like cut out <laughs> Just, cookies. I had to fact check you. But you were saying that, as as Julia kind of mentioned, being in a, a context where you're cooking kind yeah. of created a dialogue yeah. and, and like sort of exchange. I mean, was it compared to other interviews you did? Did the process of cooking like just change what you talked about? Totally. And, you know, interacting that way is a really kind of intimate and genuine experience. And kind of being able to share that with an artist, you know, we're not making art, but it's something that you can tell is just very parallel to his practice and integral to it. And he actually, you know, it took a very long time. It took a lot longer than a normal interview would have. And I like thanked him kind of effusively for taking the time. And he was like, this is the only thing I would do other than like to take away from my painting practice. So it is something that he like genuinely loves to do and finds joy out of. But also like he's obsessed with sweets. Mm-hmm. So he was like dying to eat it the whole time. And <laughs> he's like licking the batter. I mean, I'm not a trained journalist and having something that you're doing with your hands that's another source of focus during, and in my case, is a really informal interview process. But that is like a godsend. because, And it's yeah. even the way I take photos, I feel like I sneak them. And I often walk out being like, man, if I was like a little more, I am pretty aggressive, but if I was a little more <laughs> aggressive as a photographer, I would get better shots. But then on the other hand, I'm like, but it's not worth the trade-off because I just had a normal hang with this person who I love and I, whose work I'm fascinated by or whatever. And they didn't feel like they were like a fish in a fishbowl, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I think that like process of, of working with someone on something they would be doing anyway takes the weirdness out of like that that interaction that's basically a blind date. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For Will Cotton, the sweets, the cakes, the candies, they're like kind of a way to create these fantastical and really beautiful scenes. Like sometimes he just wants to paint a candy queen, 
but other times like like his most recent work is dealing with more branded logos like Kit Kat logos and Domino's sugar bags um he's really talking about like the advertising industry and how they capitalize on our desires mm-hmm. for sweet things and it also felt very relevant because there's like this crazy thing about sugar right now being like the ultimate evil but something else really interesting for him is now he's like doing all well he's been doing these costumes that the models wear the models that he features in his paintings and so basically he'll bake like a ton of macarons he's like perfected the macaron he's created thousands and thousands and thousands of them and anyone who's ever tried that knows that that is not easy so he'll like make these hats with macarons on the top and um in order to like make sure that it's you know gonna last forever he actually makes casts of the real macarons and they look like real macarons but they're not so we've talked a lot about artists who are you know virtuoso cooks in their free time but i'm sure like me some are, are cooking uh, challenged uh, frozen pizzas often on the menu. What, mm-hmm. what, what were some of the surprises that you came across while researching this book, while talking to artists? Well, I mean, normally I end up cooking with people who are really into food and that's sort of a natural, um, a natural progression of like a conversation. Then I, you know, where we start talking about food and then I invite myself to their house. But for the book, there were certain people that I just had it in my mind. I really needed them to be in the book and they were not as excited about salad as I was. So one of them was William Wegman, um, who his, uh, his wife, Christine Bergen is a curator and publisher in her own right. Um, really amazing. And she was really kind and told me, William really does not eat salad, but we would be happy to have you over and, you know, figure something out. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I'll, <laughs> what if we made something that wasn't classically a salad? So we ended up making a Hiroset, like a version of a Hiroset that can go on toast, which for the non-Jews in the audience, uh, Hiroset is the best thing by far about Passover. It's a chopped up nut, dried fruit, apple, and wine or grape juice kind of salad that you eat on matzah, but it's far more delicious on toast. And uh, he was totally down. So I went and, you know, through, this has happened a few times, but it's kind of fun because it takes a different twist where I'm kind of teaching them how to cook all of a sudden. And it's really, it's a really, it's a a very different exchange. But Christine told me that his last attempt at cooking was, um, she told him to commandeer the making of the Thanksgiving turkey. And he read the directions very literally, which said, put the turkey on the rack, in the middle rack in the oven and, you know, at 400 degrees or whatever. And he, she came home and the whole house was smoked out. And she was like, what's happening? What's happening? He was like, I did exactly what it told me to do. And he put the turkey without a roasting pan on the rack and so the fat was dripping into the oven. So I thought that was like such an amazing Amelia Bedelia, William Wegman interpretation. Um, And for them, it was just a really, became this like really, really funny, weird interaction because, you know, he's interviewed all the time. When is he, and you know, when is he asked to make a salad? In that case, it's kind of like, it is a collaboration, but I'm definitely steering them towards what I think is a good recipe. So, (laughs) Well, folks, you heard it here first. Uh, Seder at the Wegmans this year. It's going to be lit. They're the, actually not The Jewish. bitter herbs. <laughs> They're not. No. He, I, I don't know why I assumed William Wegman was Jewish. And he was like, you know, I'm not Jewish. He's like, I played on a Jewish hockey team. And I was, and I, I'm sure they were really good. Yeah. I mean, they were, they might, they're honorary Jews. 
Well, either way, they can probably make better rosit than uh, anyone at this table, Definitely. except for you, Julia. All right, now we're going to move on from food to wine, another part of Seder. It all ties together. So where in the art world are you going to be drinking white wine this week? Let's start with you, Casey. I am really excited to see the new Gallery Peritin space, which is opening on Thursday. There's a show of Ivan Argote. I have, I have more than one. I'm also really excited about two shows opening at Hauser & Worth in Chelsea. There's a Ronnie Horn show and a Dieter Roth show. Alexa, where are you going to be going? Well, on Thursday, I'm going to Julia's book launch, which I'm so excited about. And the super cool thing about the book launch is that it's taking place in Julia's local key food supermarket. So why? You know, what was the inspiration behind that, Julia? Funny enough, one of my friends just told me that this whole time she thought that, I think a few people did, that it was just a venue called the supermarket. And I was like, no, no, it's actually the supermarket. The chic new Brooklyn no, party it's spot. The key foods. Um, well, the inspiration was actually kind of this um, 1964 exhibition called the supermarket that was um it was paul bianchini the curator and it was a bunch of pop artists again um and it was in a they took over a little market on the upper east side and mixed in artist works with the normal offerings and so people would be shopping and all of a sudden their campbell soup would be like a thousand dollars instead of two dollars and um it was kind of this art meets life sort of um integration that i really love so it's a, also a food drive. So people will do like supermarket sweep shopping and check out and um, donate the food to Wellness in the Schools, which is a local nonprofit that does um, education around food and healthy eating in New York public schools. Awesome. And uh, yeah, where will you be drinking uh, white wine? Well, I'm going to say one that I just went to because it feels particularly relevant. Um, I just went to Suzanne Chanchalo's dinner that was part of the Whitney Biennial um, at Untitled. And it was a really great experience and kind of what I wish all restaurants were like. Because mm -hmm. it was, especially that restaurant, I think that she should have like a permanent residency there. But that she- restaurant's a little stuffy. It's stuffy. And she mm -hmm. had all the, the wait staff in these crazy costumes. She- did like these handwritten um, menus and placemats and it was still like a delicious normal meal. It wasn't pushing the food in any kind of direction that was, uh, you know, not enjoyable, but the whole experience was, was really awesome. So I just really loved the execution and I think it was kind of a, a seamless and really lovely experience. And I'm going to be going to the Met to see Irving Penn's uh, exhibition and fans will know. He took photos of food, everyone. So course, it fits yeah. into the to the theme of this podcast, just making that overt in case you didn't pick it up. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much to Julia for joining us. Thank you. And to, of course, Casey and Alexa. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. See you next time. Our producer this week was editorial associate Abigail Kane. The theme music is by Broke for Free. <laughs>